Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute in Tokyo, a leading source of knowledge in fast-emerging Asia and the Pacific for 20 years. Demand for infrastructure in Asia and the Pacific is surging, and so too is the need to train the next generation of workers to construct and manage new infrastructure projects. In this podcast, Dr. Sudhir Misra of the Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur, discusses the skills gap in civil engineering in India, the importance of overcoming this challenge to infrastructure growth and sustainable development in the region, and how it can be practically achieved. If I talk to anybody in the industry, it's, they say that, well, these civil engineers that we produce are not being taught according to the requirements of the industry. That's the criticism that we face, that the engineers are not plug and play. I mean, we have got used to this idea, the industry. An engineer should be able to be useful or productive the first day on the job. Now, that is what the expectation is. Now, the issue, that's where the gap starts. That if you, that's the expectation. And they have to be ready to meet their very diverse requirements. And though that diversity forces diversity in the curriculum. And because we are talking of civil engineering. Now, why we are talking of where civil engineering comes in? Because civil engineering includes structural, environmental, surveying, transportation, irrigation, geotechnical, the whole works. There are these subdivisions of civil engineering. To add to this, you have in the modern day, mechanization of construction, construction materials have changed. Contracting has come in a big way. Different kinds of contracts are being um, implemented. They have added a new dimension to this whole problem of education. So it, to expect that the, the education sector or the education industry will be able to fulfill this demand is an absolutely tall order. So we really need to have a dialogue. We means the industry and the academic institutions that, okay, what part you will do, what part we will do. That is where the whole issue is getting extremely complicated. Dr. Misra describes the current approach to civil engineering training and the increasingly wide scope of knowledge a civil engineer is expected to possess within the industry. Now, if we look at this education process, what we are doing is if we take in high school graduates, that becomes our raw material. We try to process them by teaching them some courses here, some courses there, and that's our education process. And then we produce graduates. That is the end product that we have. So that product has to meet the requirements of the buyer. And the buyer there, in this case, is our industry. Now, what has happened is that civil engineering has evolved over hundreds of years. And therefore, it has an extremely wide area of scientific knowledge. I mean, uh, perhaps the widest scope among all the engineers, all the engineering communities, entire setup. Dr. Misra draws connections between on-the-job training received by medical students and how this could be applied to civil engineering. Engineering, and particularly civil engineering, is highly practice-oriented. So there's science and there's practice. Now, if it is practice-oriented, another profession which we can learn our lessons from is the medical profession, because that also is science-based. There is anatomy, physiology, and so on, pharmacology, chemistry, whatever you want to do. And then there is medicine. Then there is the whole medical education. So now in this medical education business, with each the medical college here, there is a hospital associated with it. Now, that's a very important thing which is missing in engineering. Medical college is a hospital attached to it. Students need to attend patients under the guidance of a doctor so that 
science or whatever is education is happening in the medical college is completely supplemented by on-job training going on in the hospital. There are regulatory mechanisms that obviously you don't want students to be handling patients. There are regulations, there are uh, ethics, ethical issues. So that, that's a different matter. But the fact that there is a hospital associated with it is very important. Teachers are practicing doctors. Now that's another very, very important issue that we have. That in engineering, people like me, we are teaching engineering, but we are not practicing engineers. We don't design the bridge as such. We don't design the dam. Dr. Misra continues by addressing the problems a new engineer may face when undertaking infrastructure projects. As an engineer, I don't know anything about bar bending or I, I don't know about carpentry because the carpenter, you're supposed to guide and tell him how to work. So that makes a big issue. So when the, in, when the industry says that these guys are not plug and play, I mean, they're not uh, user ready. Obviously, they're not user ready. I mean, we have to admit that they're not user ready. The problem is how do we make them user ready? So that, that cannot be done at our level because we, are, we ourselves don't have the wherewithal to handle this. Dr. Misra calls for civil engineering education to be broad enough to ensure adaptability to a diversity of work environments and specializations. That product that we have created, that is the civil engineers, where will they work? And they can work at any place because given the diversity of the subject, they can work in an equally diverse environment. They can work in the government where they'll be doing infrastructure policy, infrastructure um, supervision of infrastructure projects and so on. They can work as consultants and designers. They can work with gen the general contractors, which means they'll be actually doing the construction works. And then some of them will come back and teach. So they have to be given that amount of width so that they are able to make a career choice. So the instruction has to be more generic. Dr. Misra concludes by noting the central role that employers must play in enhancing civil engineering capacity and training. So, in fact, uh, that's a very difficult problem to discuss and resolve. It involves uh, educationists, it involves uh, policymakers, and so on. As a result of all this, what really happens is that the only solution that I see possible is that the employers train these engineering graduates. There is just no other way because those employers are the people who have different requirements actually. So if you are a government, you have a different requirement from your engineers. If you are a designer company or a consulting company, you have a different requirement. Designing consulting also has dimensions. Environmental consultants have a very different dimension to their job compared to a structural consultant. So Depending on your requirement, you have to orient these people through this kind of a training program, which you have to develop. That is, the employers have to do this. So this can be done by training modules to be delivered on job, which have to be necessarily designed by the employers. This has been Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute in Tokyo. See the show notes for the transcript and related material. For more information about us, please visit adbi.org.